sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honour. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Thank you, Susanna. You may have noticed I'm moving a few, few things around up the front, trying out some different layouts. I've removed the chairs that the clergy sit on, putting them down there. And uh, we're going to try and move the band over a little bit more towards the centre. <clears throat> the table is not centre either, you might have noticed. If you like symmetry, you might be disturbed at this point. <laughs> well, over the years at Oak Tree, uh, we have, as a congregation, completed a number of surveys, investigations into what we like and dislike and our strengths and weaknesses, including the church life survey, which comes around every six years or so. And some features keep coming through and are very persistent, actually, in the surveys. Uh, one is that our greatest strength is usually that we are good at loving each other in practical ways. Uh, people visiting others when they're sick, lending them some money perhaps, taking a meal around, giving them a phone call. Again and again in our surveys, this is the strongest feature of this congregation. And you, you wouldn't know it just from walking in and being in a church service. It's something you have to live uh, to experience. But another thing that comes up in our surveys is that we enjoy teaching and preaching. That's important to us. And another is, that, is worship, and we, we do enjoy our worship. Of course, we don't all enjoy the same kind of worship. Some enjoy their hymns and their organ, and others enjoy the band and the songs. And even here at 10.30, there are people that if we sing a hymn, they will come and say, I'm so glad we sang that hymn. And if you dig deeper, you'll find that there are differences in our preferences, even in one congregation. Some prepare... Some prefer well-prepared and carefully constructed public prayers. Others appreciate Holy Spirit-led, extempore prayers. Some dislike repetition in worship. Two is almost too many times. Others love the repetition, and for them there's nothing better and more God-honoring than a good repetitive chorus. And the more loops you go round and round, the better. Some people are hands up, they're 12 o'clock people, and some people are 6 o'clock people. Some people are sort of 7 o'clock or 9 o'clock. <laughs> We're all in different time zones. <laughs> some people are 
We are all over the place, yeah. We're both united and divided in our love for worship. And so I thought we'd have a few sermons on worship. We're having a little break from the book of Revelation before we finish it off. And the first thing I want to say about worship that's really important to understand is that it's a term with many meanings. In English, it can mean a service is worship, a a worship service. Um, It's also a verb in the English language, which means basically to adore. Like if you say, I worship him, that means you adore that person. And you have this image of sort of bowing down before the person. But here's the the confusing thing. In In a Christian sense, the word worship in English actually translates two different words in Greek, and there are two different words in Hebrew. So there are two concepts that have been kind of globbed together in this one word. And uh, that can be confusing. That can create some tension. It can create a little war, actually, sometimes. So one word in the New Testament is the Greek word latroio, which means to serve. And it's based on a word meaning a hired servant. Um, So basically, that's the concept of what the priests did in the temple. They served the Lord. And you have the same difference in Hebrew as well. And the other verb for worship, or that's, that's translated as worship, is proskuneo, which means to prostrate yourself, to bow down. It's the whole, you know, face on the dirt um, uh, a- a- attitude. And actually, that's, they're used quite a lot in the New Testament too. Um, it originally probably meant bowing down to kiss someone's hand. So it's a physical act of bowing down. For example... When the wise men came to, to, uh, to see Jesus and they found him, what was the Greek word do you think that was used to describe when it said they worshipped him? Which was the word? Was it the one for serving or the one for bowing down? It was the bowing down. Yeah, they, they actually went like this. The kings went like this um, before Jesus when they saw him. So they bowed down. Same difference in the Hebrew Bible. Shachach means to prostrate yourself. So uh, Psalm 95, 99 verse 5, exalt the Lord your God and worship at his footstool. And that word worship means put your nose down on his footstool. And abad is the other verb, and that means to serve, the same distinction. So the, the Greek New Testament, the Hebrew Old Testament, they're on the same wavelength. They've got those two concepts down. They're very different. Sometimes the Bible puts them together as representing the whole of worship. So, for example, when Jesus is tempted and Satan says, bow down to me, he says, worship, that is, bow down before the Lord your God, and Jesus says, and serve him only. So that is, serve as in the other aspect of worship. So he uses both together, bow down to the Lord God and serve him only. Or in Deuteronomy 5.9, there's a warning about the idols, it says, You shall not bow down to them, shakach, and you must not serve them, abat. So both of those words are put together. And they're often put together in the Bible. Now these two concepts are both important. And they're both biblical. And they both need to be part of our experience of worshipping God and living as Christians in the world. Serving God in everything we do and bowing down before the Lord. But they're not the same concept, although English joins them together and squeezes them into one word. And that can cause problems sometimes. And sometimes these two meanings almost seem to fight each other in that word worship. But what do I mean by that? Well, some people are sort of a little bit more wired towards the bowing down, the extravagant adoration, the physical, emotional expression of adoration to God. And I think when we call the band set a worship set, or when we refer to singing as worshipping, 
I think it comes from that perspective. That is that um, there is a sense in which when we worship, we, we, we move our vocal cords, we move our bodies, we breathe, we move our arms. This is a kind of physical expression of bowing down, not necessarily physically going down, but it's an act of adoration before the Lord. And that's why people raise their hands, because they, you have this inner sense that you need by your body to be consecrating yourself in adoring God. And so raising hands is a way of doing that. It's entering into adoration of the Lord. That's why people raise their hands, the same reason that they bow down their bodies. Now, there are some that would say that actually all that we do in church, in fact, everything we do in the Christian life should be understood as worship. And what they're meaning, I think, is that it's all service of the Lord. It's all a way of serving God. And if, if that's sort of your main vision and emphasis, then that's sort of more in the service track rather than the bowing down track. So these two perspectives can sometimes be a bit like ships in the night with, with some people kind of leaning one way and some people leaning the other. And it's not that good because the Bible calls us to both. The Bible calls us to both to serve the Lord in all we do and say and to bow down and adore him and express adoration of God in our public gatherings, in our private worship, in the way we live as well. And they both, both have their place in a worship service. Now, don't misunderstand me when I said some people sort of lean one way and some people lean the other. That doesn't mean there aren't people who are passionate about both. There are people who love to bow down and they love to serve God in every single possible way. And actually, that's good to have it all together. Now, one of the things that we try to do here at Oak Tree, it's one of our values, I would say, is that we manage polarities well. A polarity is where you have two things that might seem to be in conflict and could be in tension, but actually are both essential to having a healthy, well-balanced life. <laughs> For example, order and creativity. They can be at war with each other, but actually, we need both of them in our lives. And if you're a super-ordered person, Creativity, too much creativity could threaten you. But if you're a super creative person, too much order might make you feel unsafe as well. But you need them both to be healthy. And it's a bit of a challenge when you're a parent and your kids go one way and another goes the other. And one's sort of completely disordered but incredibly creative. And the other's as order as a neat pin but, but not as creative. And how do you actually encourage children to be fulfilled in themselves and, and to balance those things? But we need, we need both actually in the church as well. So we, let me give you some examples about polarities that we manage. We encourage people to have a faith in God who heals, but we also encourage people who are persevering in faith through difficult circumstances where prayers don't seem to be answered in the way we expect. We encourage people to be faithful and persevering as well. We don't put those two options at war with each other. We value the prophetic ministry, but we also value and prioritize systematic teaching of the Bible. We value spiritual experiences, and we don't despise them, but we also value character formation and the development of Christian virtues. It's not just all about experience, but experiences are good as well. We value cultivating godly emotions, but we also value transformed thinking and godly minds. We value the gifts of the Spirit, and we want to develop the, spirit, the spiritual gifts in the church. Prophecy, healing, miracles, speaking in tongues, all those things. They're good. Praise God. Gifts of God. But we also work hard to develop the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness, kindness, patience, 
and, and the fruit of a Christian character in ourselves and in each other. They are very important as well. We value taking risks for God and stepping out in faith, but we also value safety and peace and stability in our community. We value worship as an all-of-life service to God, but we also value the all-in, all-out, passionate adoration of God with all that we are and all that we have. We want it all. (laughs) We want it all. So managing polarities is important. If you are more or less at one end of a polarity, you might tend to see all the dangers in the other end, but not the dangers in your end. The all-in, passionate, bowing down, dancing, shaking, raising of hands Christian might be concerned about the lack of passion in a church and the lack of freedom to honor God and the constrainedness of a church. They might be, on the other hand, if you're at the other end and you have an all-of-life-is-worship approach and everything you do is meant to honor God, you might be concerned about those who are chasing after some experiential moment when there's a whole of life to be lived well for God. It's also worth noting that some Christian traditions sort of lean more one way than the other. The the more conservative evangelical tradition in the Anglican Church can tend to be very focused on the whole of life is worship perspective. I've been in churches when it was absolutely clear that the main purpose of singing was to teach the congregation sound doctrine. And the primary question to be asked about every act of music is whether it was edifying the church through its teaching. They seem to have forgotten that there was another party involved called God who we were praising. And there was worship of God that was meant to be going on, adoration, not only formation of the saints through good teaching. Some churches go one way and some go the other. I observed uh, as part of my training in an Anglo-Catholic church, which was sort of very high up the candle, I really enjoyed being there. And one of the things I liked about it is they understood what it was to bow down before the Lord, to adore the Lord. Um, And, uh, you know, part of that tradition is every time you mention the name Jesus in the liturgy, people bow their heads. Uh, So when you're saying the Gloria, every time Jesus, people bow their heads, you know, because the Bible says every head will bow. So off they go, you know. And um, it actually becomes ritualistic and lacking in meaning if it's just done automatically. But it's a good idea. There's something kind of attractive and beautiful about that, that every time you you, you hear the name Jesus, you, 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 you worship, you worship. Um, we so often hear the name Jesus used not in worship in the society around us. And it's a desecration, isn't it? And what a beautiful thing to be able to say, yes, I'm, I, I choose to worship the Lord Jesus. Um, you know, sometimes people can be so focused on teaching and formation and so frightened of experience that they dishonor God. Uh, we, I had a friend who came to the Lord in Nepal in an amazing kind of uh, series of miracles, and he once gave his testimony. It was just miracle after miracle after miracle that he was giving it in a conservative evangelical church. And afterwards, one of the pastors came to me and said, that was a really terrible testimony. And I said, why is that? He said, well, people might get the idea that God does those miracles all the time. And that's so unhelpful for people. They need to be taught perseverance and faithfulness and truth and a solid foundation for living well. And I thought, man, you've just gone right out. Your polarities are not balanced, you know, because... You wouldn't be there with the apostles in the Acts of the Apostles praising God for the things that God has been doing to bring the Gentiles to faith. Because you'd be thinking, oh, are they being taught well? You know, is is their doctrine correct? Um, So, you know, we we can lose perspective. And the challenge is in managing these polarities is to be biblical, is to be letting the Word of God speak to our experience and how we put things together all the time. That's where we 
have to keep coming back to that. Well, today, we are on the, the uh, serving track. We're focusing on that. There was just one more thing I just wanted to say before I begin to dig into Romans 12. Um, I think it is an undeniable fact that some people have a much more experiential faith than others. And I remember one of our members, after they came to the Lord uh, for, for months, every time they came to church, they would be so deep in the spirit, it would take a long time for them to be able to even stand up at the end of the service. And I just thought, praise God. You know, if someone's engaging with God in that way, that's a beautiful thing. It's not something to worry about. But there's other people who would think, I just wish I could have a single moment in my life like that. Because it's all just rational, and I'd, I'd like to have a heart that is more touched by the love of God. And I, I don't think that's wrong. You know, like, it's, you, it's not, not necessarily something wrong with you if you're not in that space, or, or in a different space. Actually, we're in different spaces, and God reaches us and touches us in different ways. And some of the Christians I valued the most are very pragmatic people, but very stable, faithfully, godly, and loving. They might not have these mountaintop experiences, but you know that when you're in a difficult spot, or you need wisdom, or you need people to be loved, and you need the church to be safe, they will be there, and they will be building a healthy environment for people to serve the Lord and come to faith in and grow. And that is an incredibly precious gift for the body of Christ. So all this is all part of our complexity as a church. Well, let's have a look at Romans 12, and uh, I invite you all to open your Bibles. Romans chapter 12, page 922. Let's turn to the word of the Lord. And I'd like just to read for you uh, those first two verses, which is just our main focus for this moment. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, when Paul says that presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice is a spiritual worship, which concept do you think that worship refers to? Is it the bowing down or is it the serving? It's the serving. Latreia is the, um, is the, Latreia is the noun. It comes from Latreia. It's It means serving. So this is your spiritual service, he is saying. He is speaking about everything you do in the body as being worship. Everything you do in your body as worship of God. And he says... He's saying, I implore you, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, because of the mercy of God, because of the grace of God he's been speaking about, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, I don't know if any of you have looked in the mirror recently, but you might think, my body is not a very good sacrifice. You know, maybe I'm not the most acceptable thing to offer to the Lord. But actually, Paul is saying he wants your bodies. He wants your bodies to be offered as a living sacrifice. And it's because of his mercies, that word is very strong word in the Greek. It means like, like the bowels of compassion of God. It's because God is stirred to his very soul, very heart of his being with compassion and love for you, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice because of God's really strong and amazing love for you. Now the image he's using here is from the service in the temple. The priests are doing sacrifices, giving sacrifices and serving God in the temple 
And he's saying, offer your bodies as that living sacrifice. That's your spiritual worship, your spiritual service. Of course, a sacrifice is something that's inherently valuable to you that you give to God rather than use it for yourself. You deprive yourself in order to bless God with this. So, for example, if you sacrifice some wheat, instead of it going into your belly or your family's belly, it gets burnt up as an offering to God or perhaps it's used by the priests in the temple to feed the priests. So sacrifice is something precious to you that you give to God. And he's saying, sacrifice your body. Leave your body at the altar. You can't get more whole of life, really, than sacrificing your body. Um, it's actually an amazing thing about the body. You know, I, I find that if I go to the footy, I look down and I think, oh, my body's here with me as well. There it is. And if you go to a film, you're just sitting there watching the film, you think, oh, my body's here. It came too. That's so good. Or you're having a cup of coffee, you think, oh, my body came as well. You know, because everything you do, everything you go, everything you're part of, your body's there. It's involved. And when Paul says, offer your body as a living sacrifice, consecrate it, that means you're offering everything, all your physicality to the Lord and everything that goes with that. Now, Paul is really aware that the body can cause lots of problems for us in our Christian walk because all sorts of desires can be influenced by the body and, and that can be really destructive. And so he's saying... Give it to the Lord. Sacrifice it to God. Leave it at the altar so that you can be consecrated in your body, actually. Consecrated. Put your body at God's disposal. And Paul says this is your spiritual service. Actually, the Greek word translated spiritual here is logikos, which can mean rational or also, because it's of the mind, spiritual, not physical. So there's a bit of a contrast. He's saying give your body as a non-physical service. Give your body as a spiritual service, as a, as a spiritual offering to the Lord. Um, and so he's, this is the same concept and the same word that's used here, latreia, that's used for service in the temple. And then he explains further in verse 2, moving on to verse 2. He says, don't be conformed to the world. Now, the word conformed here is suschematizo. I'm sorry, it's one of those weeks, exegesis, here we go. In Greek, a schema, a scheme, as, we, as the word's been taken into English, its original meaning, the original meaning of scheme, is the whole habit and pattern of a person's life. So the whole kind of habitual way someone lived, that was their schema. And this word, suschematizo, means to um, unite yourself with someone else's schema. So it means here... Don't let your, your whole habitual way of life be conformed by the world. Don't habituate yourself to the world. Don't let your habits, your way of thinking, the pattern of your life be controlled by the world around you. Don't let the world impose its ways and its habits upon you. And it will really try to do that through work, through relationships, through the media, in lots of different ways. The J.B. Phillips translation put it like this. It said, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Paul here is speaking about service of God, worshipping God through your whole life. And he's basically saying, if you're really serious about worshipping God with everything that you have, serving God in every area of your life, then you'll be really diligent to stop the spirit of the age, the pattern, the culture around you controlling your life. He's really saying be spiritually resilient so you're not squeezed into the mould of the society and the culture around you. And that's really important. If you know, one of the things I would just love as a pastor to build into a congregation 
is the resilience to be able to recognize when the world is trying to squeeze you and an ability to say no to that and say, no, I've made of different stuff. My body has been sacrificed to God. My way of life is the way of Jesus Christ. I have a different schema uh, that I'm following. Be transformed. Be spiritually resilient. And then he says, so don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. And the Greek here is metamorpho. How are we transformed? How do we transform ourselves instead of being conformed and squeezed by the world? Well, by renewing our minds. By renewing our minds. The other night, I was watching a show on TV called Zombie House Flipping. Has anyone watched Zombie House Flipping? Hey, there's a few people. I love you. It's on Channel 9, and actually, I don't watch free-to-air TV because our dog ate the cables years ago. <laughs> so we've been free of TV for a decade. But recently, I've been watching Channel 9. It started with the cricket, and I'm, I'm on to zombie house flipping. And on zombie house flipping, a team takes a derelict house. The worse, the better. You know, holes in the ceiling, incredible marks and dirt on the wall. This one even had, like a lizard about this big that was living in the house. And they take this derelict house and they make it beautiful again and they sell it. And they make a lot of money, like they buy a house for 50000 and they make it beautiful and they sell it for 250000 Only in the US uh, could you buy and sell houses like that for that, those prices. Anyway, the Christian life is a kind of zombie house flip. It is, it is. He takes our zombie house, Jesus does, and he makes it new. He flips it. And it's a transformation that happens. And the way the transformation happens is especially through changing what we believe and what we think, the transformation of the mind. Jesus brings truth to bear on our thoughts. And it can be really challenging because sometimes the things we believe that aren't true are so ingrained in us we can't even see them as not being true. They just seem obvious to us and we can't shift them. I was speaking to one of our dear Iranian sisters and she really struggles because she has this thought in her mind that Jesus will not accept her. She's not acceptable. Whatever she does, that she'll be condemned. And it's really hard. And she actually knows rationally it's not true, but it's somehow it's hammering away. And we've, we've made some time to, to pray with her about that. But the, the course of the Christian life is actually cleaning up all that stuff and renewing the mind. That's actually a cornerstone of our whole approach to prayer ministry, which is uh, dealing with ungodly beliefs and replacing them with godly beliefs. Other aspects are healing the wounded heart and, um, and, there are, and also dealing with curses as well, but one is, is uh, the transformation of the mind. It's amazing how persistent ungodly beliefs can be in our lives, like rats that are living in the attic, gnawing away at our power. Actually, recently we lost our internet because um, some rats uh, have, have chewed through our, our NBN cable. That was, it was very distressing. They chewed about that much out of the NBN cable. And when you've got rats in your brain chewing away at the truth and destroying it with lies, it's, it's very distressing not to have your internet. I know, I know. Anyway, so part of the transformation is the renewal of the mind through truth in every possible way. That's why it's good to read the Bible. That's why it's good to come to church and listen to some sermons. That's why it's good to worship and let the truth uh, of the Lord come into your heart through that. And then Paul goes on to implore the Romans to live as transformed, consecrated people. And he has a really beautiful description of the attributes that come into a person's life uh, when, they, when this is happening in them. One of the things he says is that 
you have some gifts, you have some things to offer in the church. And if you have a whole church of people who have a renewed mind, who have consecrated the bodies to serve the Lord, then that service works together in the most beautiful way because people are delighted to serve the Lord in all that they bring. And he has this really interesting list. He, he mentions things like uh, prophecy, teaching, serving, encouraging, giving financially, leading others, being compassionate. He says these are all different kinds of service. They're all worship as service coming together, flowing out of the heart of people who have consecrated their bodies to, to the worship of the living God and consecrated ourselves. And then he goes on to describe some of the personal attributes of those who have, who have made this transformation, who've gone through the zombie house flip in their soul and they've been made beautiful. He says, these are people who bless others when they're persecuted. These are people who rejoice with those who rejoice, who weep with those who weep. They're, they're compassionate. They have soft hearts for others. They live in harmony together. They're not proud. They associate with the lowly. They don't claim to be smarter than they are. They're rejoicing in hope. They're patient in suffering. They're contributing to the needs of others. They show hospitality to strangers, not just to their own friends. They are showing mutual affection to each other. They hate what's evil. They hold fast to what is good. They outdo each other in showing honor to others. What a beautiful characteristic to have in a church. A whole community of people who outdo each other in honoring each other. They don't lag in zeal. They serve the Lord. What they do is service offered it to God. They're persevering in prayer. They're patient in suffering. It's so beautiful. These are the, the fruit that comes out of a life that's consecrated to serving the living God. Well, my friends, worship includes service and it includes bowing down. Today, I've just been focusing on the incredible beauty of, of what it means to be a life consecrated to God through dedicating your body to serving the Lord, dedicating your whole life to serving the Lord. It's very disconcerting and disappointing sometimes if you meet a Christian and you can see there's a kind of room in their house that's still in the zombie state. It hasn't been flipped. It hasn't been cleaned up. And maybe there's bitterness or hurt or anger or control or competitiveness or something that's just, just, just hanging in there. It's not been really dealt with. But, you know, Jesus asks us to give all of our bodies to him, all of our soul, everything to be cleaned up and to be addressed. And that's our worship. That's our service of the living God. And I just really encourage you all when you come and you, you have something to offer um, here as we gather together on Sunday or in the, in the connect groups as well, and you're bringing what you have to share with others, that you do it in a spirit of serving the Lord, that you're offering your very selves to God, your whole being, your whole body, everything that you are, all your gifts and talents, all the grace that God has given to you, and you're also open to others who are doing the same, done in a spirit of service. This is true and acceptable worship which is to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Well, we're going to have a time of worship now. I just invite the band to come forward. Um, this is a kind of figurative bowing down as we uh, honor God and we adore God together. And one of the things that happens when we adopt the posture of serving God and also of bowing down before him is the Holy Spirit speaks to us. He challenges us about our identity and who we are. He speaks truth to us. And this first song is an invitation to come to the altar. And I'm not suggesting we have a, a prayer ministry line today, but if you would like to during this time of worship, just to come and stand here at the front for a few moments and to say to the Lord, look, I do consecrate my body to you and my life to you such as it is. I'm sorry I've been withholding in some as aspect or whatever, but oh Lord, I want to consecrate my whole self to you. 
and no one's going to just be praying with you, you know, please seek prayer afterwards if you need, but just come in here, just, let that just be a consecrated space where you can just stand for some moments and say, Lord, I give you my body, I consecrate myself to you, I want to serve you in every area of my life. Let's stand and worship the Lord.